Now today, it is uh, great to be with you all here in person and those of you who are watching online. Um, I'm honored to be invited into your home this morning. Um, today, as we begin, I want to start by asking you a very simple question. Um, the question is this question right here. What should people think when they hear the word or the phrase Christian? And if you are not someone who would call yourself or think of yourself as a follower of Jesus, then you can play along too. The question for you then is simply this, what do people think? when they hear the word Christian, right? So what should or what do people think um, when they hear this phrase, uh, this word Christian right here? Like, um, like I, I just found out the new guy at work is a Christian. Or it turns out that my sister is dating a Christian. Somebody told me my boss is actually a, a Christian. The new family, they moved in across the street. I went over to meet them and I discovered that they are Christians. What should or what does come to mind Right, when you hear somebody say something like that. You know what never comes to mind? This word right here, fearless, right? Which is actually kind of strange because we discovered last week that as we began this series that one of the things Jesus says over and over and over throughout the course of his ministry is he tells all of us, he says, okay, do not be afraid. In fact, one of the things that we discovered about Jesus himself is that Jesus himself, he was absolutely fearless. And so consequently, the place that he wants to lead each of us to in our relationship with him and, and our relationship with our Heavenly Father, it is this place where our faith, right, where it overwhelms and it overshadows our fear, right? So that even when we are in the midst of, of circumstances and events that that honestly should terrify us and probably will terrify the people uh, around us that we would in fact be able to not be afraid. And then last week we also recognized that part of the reason why it's so easy for us to, to miss this, right? Even though it's all through Jesus' teaching, even though it shows up so much all throughout the course of the Gospels, is that it's easy for us to forget in our modern world that Jesus um, was not weak. Right? That Jesus, our Savior, was bold, that he was fearless. And the place he wants to lead us to in a relationship with him is a place of refuge. It is a shelter in the storm. Right? It is a hiding place in times of trouble. Now, the other aspect about all this that we kind of un uncovered together last week um, can really be summed up in, in this word right here, um, confident. Right? When it comes to having a relationship with our Heavenly Father, a, a relationship where we are in fact confident. Not confident like arrogant, um, but confident as in certain. Right? Confident as in, as in humble. And again, at the end of last week, we kind of asked ourselves that question of, so why in the world? Like of all the places, you think about it, of all the places that Jesus could want us to go throughout the course of a lifetime, right? a lifetime of following him, why in the world would the destination be this place that overwhelms and overshadows our fear? Like of all the options, why is this the thing and the place that Jesus wants to lead us? Why is fearless and confident faith the goal? And by answering this question, we, we made this unexpected discovery and we discovered that faith that overwhelms and overshadows fear, that really is the, the kind of faith that honors our Heavenly Father. Right? And that's the only kind of faith um, that, that really frees us to love other people. 
that, that we notice that because Jesus was sent into our world to love the entire world, um, because we're his followers, we are to do the very same things that Jesus did, and, and that means that we are called to love the entire world, and the only way we'll ever be able to love the entire world is to get rid of the fear and to get rid of the fear, the fear of the things and the fear of the people who can actually hurt us in this life. Because when you don't fear losing something, that's when you become selfless. When you don't fear losing something, that's when you become generous. When you don't fear losing something, that is, in fact, when you become compassionate. Faith that overwhelms and overshadows fear is the only kind of faith that frees us to love people. Even when people hurt us and they persecute us. Now again, if you weren't with us last week, then you really need to go back and watch or listen to last week's message. Because this week we are kind of moving forward into our discussion about this, this understanding of this hiding place that Jesus wants to bring us. Th this picture of faith that he wants to give us in the midst of, of storms and in the midst of the uncertainty that comes in life in this world. And we are going to be looking today at an amazing, amazing section of Scripture. It is an extraordinary section of Scripture. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapters 11 and 12. And so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, on your mobile device, um, I highly recommend that especially this week you pull this up because we are going to cover a lot of ground. And we're going to try to cover it as quickly as we can. But it is very, very significant. And one of the things that's so significant about this section of Scripture um, is that the author of this book, the book of Hebrews, um, writes this section of scripture to a group of people who are beginning to wonder if, in fact, it was actually worth it to continue to follow Jesus in the midst of hardship. Was it worth it to actually follow Jesus when things were difficult? Was it actually worth it to follow Jesus and maintain a confident relationship with our Heavenly Father in, in the midst uh, of trouble? And in the midst of heartache and disappointment and fear. And see, this is the part that is so, um, so easy for us to miss. And yet, um, it's so significant to what we're going to talk about today. When the author of this book wrote this book, right? And you should, this is amazing whether or not you're a follower of Jesus or not. When this was written 2,000 years ago, nobody had any idea what was in fact going to happen with this little group of people who actually believed that somebody rose from the dead. People could not have imagined coming to a country or a city or a community like ours or like yours where there are literally churches everywhere. There was no such thing as a church building when this was written. There were just these gatherings of people who believed that Jesus really was the Son of God, that he actually literally rose again physically from the dead. And the only reason that people believed that is because they knew someone who had seen the resurrected Jesus, or they knew someone who knew someone who had seen or talked to the resurrected Jesus. And so th when this was written, right, about 30 years after the resurrection, um, people were wondering, right, is this going to go anywhere? I is this whole thing, um, is this going to go beyond our little town, go beyond our little community? I mean, is it really, are we kidding ourselves with this? Is it really worth it? To maintain faith in Jesus in the midst of hardship? Is it really worth it? Are we giving up our lives for nothing? And not only that, is it working? 
Like, is this actually going to make a difference in my world? Is this actually going to make a difference in my relationship, my connection to my Heavenly Father? And so the author of Hebrews begins Hebrews chapter 11 by reminding us and says, okay, faith, remember he says, faith is in fact confidence of what we hope for and it is assurance about what we do not see. And this is the biblical definition of faith. This is what faith means according to the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is also what the word faith, what it means in general. And see, this is important because for some of you, um, you think to yourself, okay, well, I don't believe in faith. I, I believe in things like reason. I believe in science. And I believe in facts. Right? But see, the author of Hebrews says, no, that's, you're mistaken. You don't actually understand what faith means because faith uh, means this. It, it's something that you've actually experienced. The author of Hebrews says, listen, um, when you started your job, right, whatever job you're working at right now, you sat down with somebody and they said to you, okay, uh, two weeks from now or a week from now, um, you're going to get paid. Right? You're going to have a salary, it's going to be this much, um, we're going to pay you this much per hour, and so a week from now or two weeks from now, um, you, you're going to get a check from us. And so you, you went to work for your employer, you went to work confident that they were in fact going to do what they said that they were going to do, and you went to work assured about a result that you were in fact going to receive from them. And so the, apostle, the, 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 the author of the book of Hebrews says that's what faith is, right? It's not hocus pocus. It's not magic. It's not any of those things. It's simply confidence that somebody is, in fact, going to keep their promise. So the author continues and says this. Okay, this, um, this kind of faith, right, this kind of faith up here, this is what the ancients, what they were commended for. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, if you're following along, um, the author of Hebrews goes into this huge list uh, of people that many of which you may be familiar with, people who lived prior to the first century, people that you may have uh, learned about in the Old Testament, especially if you grew up going to church or going to Sunday school, people like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and, and Sarah. And the author says all of these people, they were, um, they were commended, right, they were commended for their faith, that God made them a promise, and they lived as if God was going to keep that promise. And so when you read your Bible, when you open up the pages of Scripture, and, and you see the, the phrase, or you read the phrase, walking by faith, or sometimes we say living by faith, that's all it means. It just means living every day, as if God is, is in fact going to keep his promise. It doesn't mean you can't have any questions. It doesn't mean you can't have any doubts. It doesn't mean you, doesn't mean you can't have any, um, any anxiety, perhaps, about the unknown. It just simply means believing, right? Trusting that God is going to keep his promise. And the author says this, which we don't really expect. The author says, all these people, these famous people, these faith-filled people that we hear so much about, all of them, they were still living by faith when they died. Right? In other words, they never got a paycheck. Right? This is huge. They never saw the result. Right? They lived their entire life trusting God and living as if God was going to keep his promise. But they never personally experienced God actually coming through on what God had promised. And the author goes on to explain this. He says, okay, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them 
and they welcomed them from a distance. And what the author is referring to is the fact that in the Old Testament, that, that God made a promise to Abraham to one day make Abraham into a great family and ultimately into a great nation, and that through Abraham the entire world would be blessed. But Abraham never saw that promise fulfilled, and Abraham's son Isaac never saw that promise fulfilled. His grandson Jacob never saw that promise fulfilled. The nation of Israel never saw that promise fulfilled. Generation after generation, nobody saw that promise fulfilled. But there was always a remnant. Right? There, there was always a, a group of people that were faithful to God. Not perfect. Right? Not sinless. Not meaning they didn't have questions or doubts or fears or anxiety. No, faithful. Simply meaning this. That they believed that God was in fact going to do what God promised that he would do. And see, this is so convicting for us. I mean, if we're honest, isn't it? Because aren't you just like me and you say to God, okay, on Monday, God, I need you to do this, and God, I need you to do this, and God, I need you to do this, and if by Thursday, God hasn't shown up, right, and then I start saying things to God, like, okay, God, I get it, I'm going to give you an extension, I know there's a big world out there, lots of people got lots of problems going on, and I know you can't pay attention to just little old me, so God, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you three more days, Right, you can have till Sunday, and then another week goes by, and that prayer doesn't get answered. Something bad happens, and then we say things to ourselves like, "How in the world can I have faith? How can anyone expect me to have faith in such an untrustworthy God?" And see, the author of Hebrews is reminding us: Listen, listen. The ancients, right? The ancients. They lived their entire life. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. They lived their entire life not once seeing God come through on his promise, but they kept trusting him anyway. And then don't miss what the author says next. This is, this is huge. This is the part that a lot of times you skip over. Even people skip over when they read this section of Hebrews, verse 36. Some of these people, right, some of these ancients, the people who are commended for their faith, they face jeers and flogging. If I described flogging in detail to you right now, some of you would have to leave the room. Some of you would have to walk away from your, your screen right now. They face chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about, the author says, in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. And then it's as if the author just kind of pauses here for a moment. Because as you're reading this and you take this all in, it's as if all the emotion... Right, of all these stories, all these lives of people that he's just taken us through and all these, these different verses in Hebrews chapter 11, it's as, if, um, it's as if he recalls all of these events and as if he feels all of these events personally. Um, Moses' mom kneeling down by the side of a river with a baby in her hand thinking, what, what, what do I have to do to save my baby right now? Moses staring into the eyes of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and trying to tell Pharaoh, what God had told him. 
Abraham following God into the middle of a desert, leaving everyone and everything that he knew behind simply because he heard God telling him that is what he was supposed to do. All these amazing people and all of their stories, their stories of heartache and unanswered, unfulfilled prayers, their stories of suffering, and it's as if the author of, of the book of Hebrews, it's as if um, he, as he's thinking about all these different people's lives, um, he, he, he's feeling this and he's thinking this and he's experiencing all of this personally. And see, in this moment, in this moment, he's able to see how all of these individual stories, how all of them actually come together to bring into reality what he had experienced in the first century because he's now living on the other side of the resurrection. And he's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, what if any one of these people, what if they had walked away? What if they had given up on God? What if any one of these people in the midst of their persecution and suffering and heartbreak and unanswered prayers, what if any one of them had walked away from what it is that God is doing? What if they had given up on the promise of God? And so he writes one of the most amazing, amazing statements anywhere in the New Testament. The author of Hebrews says this, they, the world, right, the world, it was not worthy of them. The world, it was not worthy of them. And maybe as he thought about those words, maybe he thought about the times in his own life when he had been tempted to give up on God, walk away from God, turn his back on God. Because God did not come through the way that he wanted God to come through. God did not answer the prayer that he wanted God to answer. And he thought the world, it was not worthy of them. That from the beginning, right, don't miss this. From the beginning, faith that overwhelms and overshadows fear from the very beginning. That kind of faith, when you see it, when you experience it, it has been honoring, it has been awe-inspiring amongst the people of God. And so the author tells us, all of these people, they were commended for their faith, yet not one of them, right, not one of them received what they had been promised. Why? Because God forgot about them? Because God didn't care about him? Because God got busy and he started doing something else? No, the author says because God had planned something better for us. Right? That's you. Us. That's you. That's you. That God had something better in store for us. Something for the entire world. Right, and here we are, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, and we're worshiping a Jewish carpenter. God was up to something so big and so majestic and, and so incredible. And even though these people of the past, they could not see what it is that God was up to or what couldn't even comprehend what it is that God was at work to do, they remained faithful. So that, only together with us, with you, with me, only together with us, they would be made perfect. And perfect does not mean sinless here. 
It doesn't mean that they didn't have questions or fears or doubts. It simply means that God brought them. He brought them to completion. That they were fearless and confident, even though they did not see God's plan come together. They were looking forward and they remained faithful. And so the question for us is, the question for us is this, listen. So then why are we tempted, right? Why then are we tempted to look around and be fearful, right? When there's so much evidence for us, when there's so much reason for us to hold on to the promise. Because we're on the other side, right? We are on the other side. We've actually seen God's promise fulfilled. Don't miss this. The author of Hebrews, right, in Hebrews, at the end of this, the author of Hebrews is not condemning us. No, the author of, of Hebrews is saying, listen, I get it. I get it. I've experienced exactly what you've experienced. I've experienced the same thing. I've felt it too. I know how difficult it is to be fearless and confident in your faith when God does not do what you expect God to do when it feels like the whole world is coming apart. And so here's what you do, he says. This is what I do. He says, I remind myself, therefore, right, therefore, in light of everything that God has done, in light of the fact that that I'm on the other side of God's promise, in light of the fact that I'm not the only one to experience these questions and these doubts and these fears and this anxiety, all these men, all these women, all these children, they've all experienced the very same thing as I have. In light of all that, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud Of witnesses, right? Meaning all these people that he's just gotten finished telling us about in chapter 11. But see, for us today, right, us today, our cloud of witnesses is so much greater. It's so much bigger. Because our cloud of witnesses, it includes all the people from the New Testament. The people like the apostles Peter and Paul who risked their lives continuously to share the good news of Jesus with people. And yet the emperor Nero executes both of them in Rome. Right, Matthew and Thomas who travel the world to tell people about Jesus, and yet Matthew ends up martyred in Ethiopia, and Thomas ends up martyred in India. Even James, the younger brother of Jesus, who while Jesus was alive, refused to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And yet when Jesus rose from the dead, it was James, the younger brother of Jesus, who was put to death because he would not stop telling people that his half-brother was in fact the resurrected son of the living God. All of these amazing people right, who traveled the world, extraordinary stories, Andrew in Greece, Nathaniel in Iran, Iraq, Ethiopia and Arabia, Philip in Turkey, Simon the Zealot in Britain, all of them, all of them martyred facing persecution for telling people about Jesus and beyond that generation, right? The followers of Jesus living in the second and third century who faced unimaginable persecution. The followers of Jesus, think about this, in the 15th and 16th century, the only reason we can read a Bible in English today is because these followers of Jesus in the 15th and 16th century, they gave up their lives so that you could have a copy of the New Testament in English. I mean, we can't even comprehend that. They risked their lives. Many of them were burned at the stake simply so that you could have a copy of the New Testament. And all of them are a part of our great cloud of witnesses. Right? But forget about them for a moment. Forget about that great cloud for a moment. 
What about the followers of Jesus living in Iraq right now? What about the followers of Jesus living in Afghanistan right now? The followers of Jesus living in Libya and Nigeria right now? The followers of Jesus right now who are in our world who are huddled and packed into refugee camps. And they, um, they are afraid to, to wonder what's happened to their daughters and they can't even begin to imagine what's happened to their sons. And every single night they kneel down next to their little cot at night on their knees and they beg God for mercy. And they continue to believe and they continue to believe and they continue to believe. All of them, all of them are a part of our great cloud of witnesses, a reminder a reminder that in spite of what is happening to you or what is happening around you, that God can be trusted. That God has kept his promise and God will continue to keep his promises no matter what. And so the author of Hebrews, he understands this. He's felt what we feel. He's experienced this. And so the author of Hebrews says to us, okay, when I'm overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, when, when I look around and it feels like my world is coming apart and nobody cares and nobody wants to be a follower of Jesus, no one wants to live like a follower of Jesus, no one wants to be generous like a follower of Jesus, nobody wants to date like a follower of Jesus. Right? The author of Hebrews tells us, okay, listen, here's what I do. And so the author says this to us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Right? This is huge. Please don't miss this. The author says, listen, I need to look in the mirror and I need to ask myself a couple of very, very, very important questions. What am I fearful of right now? Why am I not all in? Right now. Because see, the darker things get, the brighter the light of faith shines. The more uncertainty there is in the world, the brighter the certainty of faith shines. So I need to be honest and ask myself, am I afraid of someone's opinion about me? Am I afraid of of death? Am I afraid of my death? See, the author of Hebrews is not condemning us for anything. He, listen, this, these are all legitimate fears. No one is saying they aren't. The author of Hebrews is simply saying, okay, what do those questions tell you? What do they tell me about what's going on in my mind right now? What do they tell me about what's going on in my heart right now? What is it that I need to throw off right now? And see, listen, throwing off, this is not easy. Sin, anger, frustration, anxiety, fear. For me personally, sometimes I can very quickly identify a source of fear in my life and I can very quickly throw that fear off. Other times, the truth is there are fears in my life that I have struggled with for years, for decades, that I continue to struggle with today, that I continue to struggle to try to throw off today. 
See, this is not, hear me about this for some of you, this is not about feeling anxiety. Most days of my life I wake up with so much anxiety I can barely get out of bed. This is not about not feeling anxiety. This is about in the midst of that anxiety asking yourself the question, what is hindering me from living in the promise that Jesus has made to me? That no matter what happens to me, even when bad things happen to me, that Jesus is with me. What is getting in the way of understanding what fearless faith actually means? That fearless faith is not about never experiencing the emotion of fear. Everyone experiences the emotion of fear. Fearless faith is about learning who to trust and where to run in those moments where I fear the most. Because my home and your home, it is not here. It is not here. And so the author of Hebrews tells us, okay, let us, right, talking to us, talking to me, talking to you, let us run with perseverance, right? That is, don't give up. Don't drop out. Don't walk away. Don't turn away. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Right For this generation, for our generation of followers of Jesus living in America right now, the author of Hebrews is telling us, listen, we have a very specific role to play. We, have a very, we live in a culture that is very specific to us, that we have a very specific job to do, that there is a reason why we are followers of Jesus in this world at this time and in this place. We have a very specific race to run. The question is, listen, are we up for it? Am I up for it? Or will I take the bait? Will we take the bait of the enemy? And join the complaint bandwagon and the blame bandwagon. Because, see, that's the challenge, right? Will we throw off everything that hinders? Not because of what's around us. No, because of the one who is for us. And so the author says, because here's what I want to know, right? How do you do that? Like, how do you do this? That's what I want to know. Right? Isn't that what you want to know? That's what I want to know. How do you do this? How do you throw off everything that hinders? And so the author says, okay, well, you're working to try to make a difference. Well, you're working and holding on every day. Well, you're trying to hold on every day to be fearless and confident in your faith as you're trying to remind yourself every single day how to trust in those moments when I fear the most, here's what you do, the author says. You fix your eyes on. And listen, if you've grown up in church, then you know what comes next, right? But I'm telling you, this is huge, right? This is huge because, see, our eyes, they get just naturally so fixed on other things. And when we start looking around, right, and when we, our eyes get fixed on the wrong things, 
It's so easy for us, right, to get our eyes fixed on anger, to get our eyes fixed on blame, to, to get our eyes fixed on fear. But when our eyes are fixed there, listen, we will run angry and we will run scared, but we will not run the race. We will not run this race, our race. We will miss the opportunity and the responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus in this generation to be light in our world. Until Jesus, right, until Jesus becomes our point of reference, until every single day, in the midst of my anxiety, I wake up and I ask my quest, myself the question every single day, okay, if Jesus were me, what would he do? If Jesus were me, what would he say? If Jesus were me, how would he respond? I'm telling you, this changed the world once. And it can absolutely change our world. Again. And the author continues, and he says this. And this is, I'm telling you, this is, this is so huge. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, meaning the one who got all this started, and the perfecter, the one who brings it to completion, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Right, And this is the part you're familiar with. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now we are so used to hearing this, but I'm telling you, this week as I prepared for this message and as I prayed about this and as I list, read these words, this just leapt off the page for me. Scorning its shame. See, the problem with crucifixion wasn't just the pain. The problem with crucifixion was the shame. Jesus understood the feeling of shame that we experience when we do not get the answer to, to, from, to, from God that we are expecting to get from God. Jesus understood the shame, almost like any other emotion, that strikes directly at fearless confidence in our Heavenly Father. And that's why he, listen, scorned it. Contemptuous rejection. That's what the word scorned means. Jesus contemptually rejected the shame that comes from having an unanswered prayer. Jesus contemptuously rejected the shame that comes from having an unanswered, unfulfilled request of our Heavenly Father. There is a shame unlike almost any other shame that comes from other people seeing that God did not answer your prayer the way that you wanted God to answer your prayer. That he did not answer your prayer for healing, your prayer for deliverance, your, your prayer for a miracle. And then having other people blame you for the result of that and blame that result on a lack of your faith. Jesus knew that shame. The shame of having God say no publicly. And Jesus, your Savior, he rejected that shame contemptuously. He rejected the shame that normally leads us, don't miss this, that leads us away from God. He rejected that and instead of letting that lead him away, no, he sat down right next to, at the right hand of, the throne 
of God, which is exactly where he invites you with all of your shame and all of your fear and all of your unanswered prayer. He says, do not let that separate you from who your heavenly father is. He is faithful. He can be trusted. And I am inviting you to join me and sit down at the right hand, at the right hand of your heavenly father. Father God. So consider him. Consider him, the author of Hebrews tells us, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that, right, in, for, in other words, for the reason, right, for the reason, for the sake of, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So let me take a minute before we wrap up today and just very practically and maybe frankly, too practically, just apply this to all of us right now. Have you grown weary? Have you grown weary? Have you grown weary? Have you lost heart? Where are your eyes fixed? Do not fix your eyes on a system. Do not fix your eyes on an economy. Do not fix your eyes on security. Do not fix your eyes on a political leader. Do not fix your eyes on social media. Do not fix your eyes on Washington, D.C. Listen, I'm telling you, all of that matters, right? Government matters. Policies matter. All of that matters. None of it matters as much as men and women and students who understand the meaning of this word right here, faith. Fearless confidence that God keeps his promises and that nothing... Nothing, nothing can thwart the promises of your heavenly Father. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this from the New Testament. We know that God can be and will be faithful no matter what. So imagine, imagine, imagine another generation of followers of Jesus about whom it could be said, the world was not worthy of them. Do you want to be part of that generation? Do you want to be part? Do you want to be a part? Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of that? I do. I do. The world was not worthy of them. Right, so absolutely, get involved. Right, get involved. Don't withdraw. Get involved. Actively work to make things better for everyone. But do not fix your eyes there. You fix your eyes you fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, you know how, how easy these words are to say, how easy they are to listen to. 
And Father, you, you know, just like each of us know, we know that as soon as we walk outside these doors, as soon as we turn off the computer, as soon as we turn off the phone, um, you, you know what's waiting out there for us, Father. And sometimes we know and sometimes we don't know. And so, Father, my prayer today, very, very specifically, is for the, the man that's here right now or the man that's watching right now that's fear, filled with fear, the woman that's here or watching right now that's filled with anxiety, the student who's watching or here right now who's filled with hopelessness. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what only you can do in our hearts, that in the midst of the fear and the anxiety and the hopelessness, that you would give us the strength that you would work in us to move our eyes, that you would move our eyes onto Jesus so that all of these things may be thrown off and we may be reminded of the promise that we would never take our eyes off the promise of Jesus to be with us even when bad things happen to us. And so in this moment right now, I simply want to invite you to in your own heart and in your own mind to be honest with your Heavenly Father, to be honest with yourself. What is it that you are, are fearful of right now? What is it that is causing you to shift your eyes and to take your eyes off of Jesus right now? now I want you to hear the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that your Savior Jesus, he has never scorned you. Your Savior Jesus, he has never felt shame for you. That at the cross, you were not scorned, but sin and shame that was scorned. That at the cross, your Savior Jesus has made his love for you public. And he's made his love for you known. And he's made his promise complete. That he will be with you always, no matter what happens in this life. Because this world is not your home.